0: Learn more at marines.com. Hey. 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 Hey.
1: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 524 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is Monday, July 10th, 2023. We are back this morning to talk about a couple of uh, Duke basketball topics, one of which is uh, on the court this coming season for the Blue Devils and a few of whom will be on the court in coming seasons for the Blue Devils. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you from a hotel room in Chicago where last night uh, I attended the wedding of one of my business school classmates. So we had uh, a lot of a lot of Duke friends in attendance. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Donald Wine is also uh, up bright and early because he is not at his usual home base. Donald, where and what time are you right now?
0: Well, I am on the West Coast in San Jose, California. It is 6.36 in the morning. Um, So thank you guys for pushing this a little bit further out so that I could get some more sleep. I was here for the U.S. Women's National Team send-off match yesterday, which was a ton of fun. Um, And my voice is hoarse from also watching the men ink out a victory over Canada in the Gold Cup quarterfinals via penalty shootout. So, yeah, a very exciting day on the soccer front, but excited to talk about what we saw on the basketball court uh, over the last couple of days.
1: Jason Evans is also here. I think he is at home.
0: I am how are
2: yes. you? <laughs> yes, I'm I'm just I'm boring. I'm just sitting in Atlanta uh down in my basement which is where I usually do this stuff.
1: Excellent. All right. So the two topics today. Uh, I mentioned there are guys who are coming to Duke in future seasons that we have to talk about. That is the uh games from the Nike EYBL uh Peach Jam event that was going on last week. Jason uh was was dialed into that. So we're going to get to that after the break. Ah, uh, first topic though. One of the things that we've been trying to discern the last few weeks during the off season, especially in the context of the NCAA allowing teams to add two additional assistant coaches, what they call uh, on court but but not recruiting assistant coaches for uh, for this coming season, is that Duke had a few spots to fill on the bench. We also knew that. Uh, Emil Jefferson recently took the job, the assistant coaching job with the Boston Celtics. So uh, Duke still has a couple of empty spots on its coaching roster to fill. But uh, a couple of days ago, we found out one of those spaces that will be filled uh, for the, the on-court non-recruiting roles is going to be taken by recent Duke alum, uh, former Duke basketball player, Will Avery, a guy who we had spoken about uh, in recent weeks about how cool it was that he had. Uh, finally gotten his Duke degree coming back uh, at the conclusion sort of of his basketball playing career uh, to, to finish his degree in person on campus. Uh, he had coach K there at his, at his graduation with him, which uh, helped, I guess, quash the uh, the speculation that, that will Avery and coach K at some point were, were not uh, on, on good terms. Maybe they weren't at some point, but, but will Avery appears to be fully back in the program. He's been working with the Duke program the last few years while he's been a, Uh, while he's still been a Duke student, now he is a Duke alum and he is on the coaching staff. So Donald, I'll give it to you first. What do you think about the news that Will Avery is officially joining the assistant coaching ranks at Duke?
0: Well, you kind of summarized it first off. What a wild yet wonderful few weeks for Will Avery, you know, from being a Duke alum to to getting on the staff kind of in that special assistant role. And now he's a full-fledged assistant coach, I think is great and and it's going to be, you know, when you talk about some of the coaches that we've seen over the years, we've seen coaches that are trending younger, right? Like we see former players finish their career and then they immediately get into coaching and those are the kind of guys that we're seeing on the Duke bench. So it's good to have a guy with uh, dare I say an older perspective, right? Will Avery is much older than the rest of the staff. He's you know in his mid40s. And short of you know Chris Carwell, Chris Carroll is probably the one guy that's the link between the will Avery years and, and they played together. In that group, you know, from the 90s and the guys from the 2010s who make up the rest of the staff. So it's really cool to see Will Avery get this opportunity. And I'm excited to see what that means from a perspective of who's going to be doing what the dividing up the responsibilities. We know Jay Lucas, who was just recently appointed associate head coach, has been more of the defensive guru. And it's going to be cool to kind of see what Will Avery does on the offensive end, if he's going to be coaching the, you know, some of the bigs, some of the wings and how he can impart his knowledge that he has from playing in college, in the pros to some of these younger players. So I'm excited to see it. I think it's a great move. uh, And congratulations to Will Avery. We're looking forward to seeing him on the bench.
1: And one of the things Donald, I think that, that he brings perspective on, well, two things I, I, I like about this. Um, One is that he, brings the perspective uh, as you sort of mentioned of being a bit of an old head but also a guy who went through NBA draft process leaving early you know his NBA career probably not working out the way that the way that he anticipated or the way that he wanted and as we look at the you know the, the list of guys who have left duke after a year or two over the last 10 12 years i, I don't know what the the hit rate is supposed to be for guys who are who are coming out of school after a year, but there are a number of guys, and I don't need to name them all. You can you can remember some of these names from the last five, six, seven years. Guys who have left Duke early, who maybe they got drafted, but they've been back and forth between the NBA and and the uh, and the G League. They a lot of guys have had to go overseas after just a couple of years while they're still in their athletic primes. And you'd hope that a guy like Will Avery can bring you know the direct perspective to players about this because it's one thing for a coach K or a John Shire to say, "Hey, here's what you know. Here's what we're thinking about your future. We've talked to all these NBA scout guys. We, we've talked to X, Y, Z. This is what we think is going to happen, and and how we would best advise you." That only goes so far because neither coach K nor John Shire was in the position of being one of these players, you know, in their playing career. I don't think John Shire ever considered leaving early for the NBA. Uh, I'm not sure that that was ever a speculation. Will Avery did do it. Uh, He did it somewhat controversially, not, you know, it was a a different time 25 years ago when, when he left Duke, but, uh, but he brings that perspective, which I think is, uh, is hopefully really valuable for the guys currently in the program the other part of this that I that I find fun, but is not you know necessarily relevant, is that he and Chris Carrawell, of course, were teammates at Duke. So you've got uh, the the Seawell Will Avery connection there, and uh, I'm sure that that uh, they can stand off to the side and give John Shire a lot of grief for for being the young gun who's running the program here. Uh, at least as long as both of them are still on the bench. Uh, not sure how much longer Chris Carrawell will be around. Maybe he he decides to to strike out as a head coach on his own. But for the time being. Uh, it's still there and still supporting John Shire. So, uh, yeah, I, I in general, Donald, I think this is great news. Jason, what do, what do you have to add about the the Will Avery uh, officially to the bench story?
2: So a couple of things. The first one, you were mentioning the fact that Will Avery left Duke early. Folks may forget, but Avery and Corey Maggette and Elton Brand were the first players under players. Coach K to turn pro early. So these guys were trailblazers. And at the time, yeah, there were uh, there were a lot of Duke fans who were were not happy about this. That you know we sort of cherished that that Christian Leitner and all these other stars, Grant Hill and the such, all these other stars who had come before had had chosen to play all four years, and uh, there was more than a little bit of pushback in the Duke community over, especially Corey Maggette and Will Avery turning pro. I think people understood Elton Brand was going to be the number one pick in the draft, and and was absolutely. Uh, ready to go, but I, I I love that Avery has been welcomed back in the program, and and Sam, I think you're right. The fact that he struggled in his NBA career, despite being you know right on the cusp of being a lottery pick, you know, and getting some good NBA guaranteed money for his first few years, uh, he he definitely struggled in his NBA career, and he can probably speak to kids about what it takes to make the leap from college to the pros. The other thing I think he can speak to them about is what it takes to get the job done. Because his 1999 team, a team that was ridiculously loaded with talent, a team that, as we've often spoken about on this podcast, just blew the doors off of virtually everyone they played that year. I believe they set a record that still stands for victory margin in the ACC. And that team made it all the way to the championship and then lost. And so I think Will Avery is someone who can talk about dreams and goals and being on the cusp of them but not quite getting there. And, you know, the extra effort, the extra focus that it takes to fulfill goals of being a long, successful NBA pro, being a college basketball national champion. The things that Will Avery came, oh, so, I mean, like, tantalizingly close to achieving, but didn't get, I think he's someone who can really talk to players about, hey, look, there's never a moment that you take off. There's never an assumption you make everything has to be earned because I'm a guy who tried and didn't quite get there.
0: And I mean, just to piggyback off that, I think in short, he can tell guys that, yo, this isn't all sweet in the NBA life. The grind is real. And he can also, I mean, he had a a very long career overseas. I think he played a lot of years in Greece uh, for a few teams. So he can, Also kind of say, hey, this is a route that is an option for you. It's not necessarily, you know, only six, you know, 60 guys at max can be drafted in the NBA draft. There's hundreds of guys that come out and try to turn pro every year and think that they're going to get that NBA deal. And hey, this is a path that that can work. He can also look to guys like Jack White, who went back home to Australia for a couple of years. And now he's an NBA world champion with the Denver Nuggets. Like that sort of thing, letting them know that there are multiple paths to the NBA is going to help some of these players who are in between making that decision of, Hey, do I stay, do I go? And not sure if they're going to be first or second round talent, he can school them on the, you know, the rigors of the NBA, but also, you know, not necessarily promote going overseas, but saying, Hey, it's not the end of the world if you try to enter this draft and you don't make it. There is a path for you forward abroad that can maybe get you back to the NBA in a few years' time.
1: Jason, I want to look at the makeup of the of the coaching staff right now because we know that there are two more roles that that John Shire can fill. He doesn't have to, but you would imagine that given Duke's resources that, that they're going to find two more assistant coaches to put on the bench. We mentioned that Will Avery is going to be in one of these non-recruiting roles, so his focus is going to be that uh, they're they're calling it on court uh, that coaching development, like the, the players who are currently in the program. That's his that's his main focus here. Do you see any sort of larger strategy behind Shire giving him one of those roles as opposed to? directly promoting him into the assistant coaching role that Emil Jefferson had last year. and what do you think it means for the rest of the assistant coaching
2: search? So I think I, I, the, the big thing to stress there, I believe, is is the fact that he's not going to be a recruiter. I, I think that some people have the 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 temperament, the personality to be really great recruiters. and some people maybe don't. and that's not an indictment of anyone. It's just a matter of where your skill set, where your personality lies. And the fact that Will Avery's been with the program for a few years now, for four years now, they said that he's been helping out, you know, sort of like in these unofficial capacity kind of things. I think someone they they sort of referred to him as a grad assistant, even though he hadn't graduated yet. But, uh, you know, I I think Duke recognized maybe that at this, at least at this stage, he's not ready to be a recruiter, to, to be a guy who goes out on the road a lot and and is evaluating talent and and then trying to woo guys <laughs> and bring them to Durham. As Emil Jefferson, Emile Jefferson really took a large role in in recruiting, uh, even though he'd only been there for for one year. He and Jay Lucas are the are the two sort of primary recruiters, at least on last year's staff. So that role, that recruiter role, still very much needs to be filled. And then I I, I really feel like Duke sort of needs to go out there and get a a guy who at least has positional experience as a big man, something Emil Jefferson very, very much did. Because if you look at the current makeup of the staff, you know, Shire, Will Avery, Jay Lucas, those guys are all guards uh, and, and like big time guards, not like, not even like, you know, wings slide down to small forward, you know, kind of guards. <laughs> These are guys who are in the backcourt exclusively. And and then you have, you know, Chris Carowell, who, who played mostly on the wing. I mean, You know, he was in the post occasionally, especially on defense. He was there. There's some legendary Chris Carrawell post defense games out there, but, but I feel like, you know, with these last two spots, I think Duke needs to look to a big man for at least one of them. I know one name that's been tossed around a little bit is Sheldon Williams, who is currently in Atlanta and has been coaching for several years with the G league team that is here in Atlanta. And so he he was on the
0: show with us and he discussed, you know, starting that role.
2: Yeah. So, so I feel like that could be a a decent fit perhaps, but, but it, it, you know, it's clear Duke needs one more recruiting assistant and perhaps it's that recruiting assistant or perhaps it's someone else. I think they also need someone positionally to be able to talk to the big men.
0: Jason, I know he's not a big man, but. Uh, a guy who is available right now, uh, or at least he was until a couple weeks ago with Steve Wojciechowski, Steve Wojciechowski, when he was here, coached the bigs uh, as an assistant coach. So it doesn't have to be a big man. But yes, I, I I feel you in the sense that it would be nice to have someone who has that understanding of what it's like to grind in the post in college.
1: Although if Steve Wojciechowski were to come back and coach big men under John Shire, we would have to reignite all of the stupid arguments about whether Steve Wojciechowski was qualified to coach big men which uh, i feel like was like a a top five terrible bbr discussion topic for like 10 straight years so yes uh, only <laughs> on, only if you want to only if you want to bring that nonsense back no we're, we're we're happy for wojo and for the and for the role that he's got in the nba and hoping that hoping that that, that path works for him but uh, other than that it, you know i, I think that the sheldon williams would be an interesting pick, but but as we've said before, John Shire, we can tell, is not bound by just alumni who are who are you know prospective college head coaches. Uh, he's willing to look at guys who are in other programs, guys who guys who have had experience elsewhere. Uh, bringing Jay Lucas in, bringing Mike Shraggie back. After Shragi had been a head coach at at other schools, uh, was a is, is sort of a key indicator here that that Shire is you know is open to a broader landscape. So we'll see what yeah, he does. And, about and by the that. way, and,
2: and and Sam, I mean like you, uh, you know, we pointed out that that Avery is is older than Shire and and older than Jay Lucas and the such. Uh, it, this is still a very young staff uh, compared to a lot of other college basketball staffs. We don't have anybody in their fifties. I'm not saying that's mandatory or anything like that, but but it, it's it's still not a super experienced or or a, uh, you know, or a really old college basketball staff. So I, I, I totally get that that John Shire, you know, is, is casting a wide net looking around, not limiting it to people in the Duke family tree and that he that he wants to find the right pieces to fit with this staff.
1: All right, guys, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we are going to talk EYBL, uh, Duke commits and Duke prospects who are showing out all weekend down in Augusta. Stick around.
2: This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. There's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed
0: therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member FDIC.
1: We are back and we are talking peach jam. This is the uh this is the big Nike EYBL summer event where all the uh top Nike high school prospects are uh are on hand to play a bunch of games against each other uh every major coaching staff is there uh scouting talent and trying to secure the best players that they can john shire and his staff are no different than the rest so they were of course in town to see their commits darren harris and isaiah uh, evans who are both coming to duke next summer uh so so not the not the incoming team but but uh high school class of 2024 and then scouting a number of other guys in that class and uh in the classes below them so the the headline I think that that pops out to me is is Darren Harris winning um winning some big hardware uh in the you know in this tournament uh this was a guy who, who we were excited to see that was committing to Duke, but also recognizing that he doesn't have the, you know, the the five star, all elite, every offer type of profile that we've come to expect from Duke guys. So, Jason, I know you were dialed into these games. Can you tell me about the performance that Darren Harris had from the perimeter and what this might mean for his recruiting profile heading into uh, his senior year?
2: Yeah, the arrow is pointed up on Darren Harris. This is a guy who was ranked in like the 40s or the 50s or so, had a reputation as a good shooter, not a lot else other than that. When he committed to Duke uh, a, a while ago, I want to say it was like nine months ago or so that he that he committed to Duke uh, very early in the process that he decided on on the Blue Devils. And, and at the time, everyone's like, oh, John, John Shire loves shooters. Well, he's got another shooter in, in Darren Harris. Turns out Darren Harris may be a little bit more than just a shooter. Dude is a scorer. Um, And, you know, like I said, he was ranked like in the 40s or 50s. You're going to see Darren Harris's recruiting ranking shoot up after the Peach Jam because he was just named MVP, most valuable player of the under 17, the class of 2024 Peach Jam. He did that by hitting nine out of 20 three-pointers during the knockout stage, during the playoffs, essentially, of the Peach Jam. He led his team in scoring in every single game. He got 28 points in the championship game, hitting five of seven, three pointers dude went off. Like in the first five minutes of the championship game, he had 13 points. He ended up with 24 points in the first half. Again, 24 points in the first half of the championship game. I looked at one point, Darren Harris had 24 points. No one else on his team had more than four points. I would say that he was playing pretty well. Also, two to one assist to turnover ratio. So he's doing a nice job of distributing the ball and not giving it up. He displayed just, just great creativity, great daring on his shots. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, some of the shots he was taking, I was like, Oh, that's a bad shot. Oh, wait, it just went in. <laughs> it, you know, he was taking shots off the move. Not this was not like, Oh, I'm taking easy wide open three pointers. Did a lot of creating off the dribble, which was something we have not seen from him in the past. And, and it just felt like he was in control offensively. He was on a good team. They played smart basketball. They played well together, which is why they won. They ended up being the champions of the Peach Jam, which is no small accomplishment. And to be the leading scorer on the champion of the Peach Jam and then be named MVP, Darren
0: Harris had a heck of a week down in Augusta. Stocks going up. I mean, that those are the type of things that people remember. They go, oh, man. He's gonna rise up in a lot of rankings and he's gonna be this is where you get put, uh, you know, they start adding guys to Naismith watches and you know, hype for the McDonald's all American team, like those sort of accolades could be coming his way over the next year if he continues to progress the way he has been. So uh incredible that he's able to get the uh MVP of the Peach Jam, which Jason, as you said, is a is a huge accomplishment. I mean, that like with the number of teams that are there, the number of players that are there and everyone trying to show out because they know who's watching. You know, it's not just the, it's not just the colleges that are watching. The pros were there too. All 30 NBA teams had scouts at the Peach Jam. So to be able to sh- to kind of project yourself onto a lot of lists, a lot of potential future teams, USA basketball, those sort of uh, you know programs, this is a big deal for Darren Harris to be named MVP and for him to show so well.
1: Uh, Jason, your uh, your long lost nephew was was also there. Duke's uh, at least for now highest rated commit for next season. Isaiah Evans uh, also had himself a a strong performance at the Peach Jam. Tell me what you saw from him.
2: Yeah, it, it it's uh, amazing that a guy who's a top ten recruit like Isaiah Evans that you could go, oh, he improved his his standing. He improved his recruiting ranking at the Peach Jam, but he is yet another guy. Who who had a really, really great tournament. He averaged better than 20 points per game at the Peach Jam. He was the fourth leading scorer out there. He made the first team all Peach Jam team. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but he took home a little bit of hardware for that. His team was really good. They didn't quite make the knockout stage. They ended up going three and two in the pool play. So, you know, they didn't they didn't advance on. So we only got to see five games from him as opposed to eight games from from most of the other guys who who advanced all the way to the championship, like Darren Harris did. Um, I I just, the thing that struck me about Isaiah Evans was really, really consistent. Uh, Like he had 20 points in each of his first three games. Then he had a game of 27 and then 15 points in his last game, but just a guy who's consistently contributing to his team in every game, really great outside shooting touch. I mean, we already knew Isaiah Evans was a bucket getter but I don't think we knew he'd be quite this good from the perimeter. Hit hit better than 42% of his three-pointers, and he took 33 three-pointers. So this is a guy shooting heavy volume from the outside. By the way, made 90-plus percent of his free throws. So, you know, that's everyone says that free throw percentage is a good sign of whether or not you're really a good outside shooter. Here's the word, Isaiah Evans, a good outside shooter. Did a great job taking care of the ball. Only had three turnovers in five games. I love that. And just showed again and again a really quick release, really long arms, smooth ability, elevating for his shot off the dribble, was able to get to his spots, get to where he needed to be, and make shots again and again and again for his team. It was a great, great showing from Isaiah Evans. You know John Shire when he was watching the 2014 guys and watching Darren Harris lead his team in scoring, watching Isaiah Evans almost lead the entire Peach Jam in scoring. Everyone says John Shire loves shooters. He's like watching these guys. He's like, man, I got
0: two really, really nice shooters coming in. I didn't get a chance to see a lot of Isaiah Evans, uh, at least like some of the highlights that I've been watching. But Jason, I think that was a great assessment because being able to elevate over opposition and shoot is something that is not natural for a lot of guys. And, you know, we have a couple of guys on this year's team that we hope uh, will be that guy that can, you know, elevate over any defense and, and shoot a three and and hit it with fluidity so to have evans kind of be waiting in the wings to come in next year to do the same thing i'm real excited about that he's so long that's the thing man like when you watch him shoot the, his arms are everywhere just suddenly the ball goes
2: up and it's like going through the hoop every time it's well
0: it's, it's like it, it's almost like you know you see a guy you see two guys jump together and then one just seems to stop and the other one seems to keep going and that's kind of you know you kind of see that it's funny steph curry 6'4". four. He's not the tallest point guard that ever lived. He's not the shortest. But for some reason, not only can he get his shot off quick, but there's sometimes where he will elevate and the other guy just seems to stop. And he's like, Oh, I'm still, I'm still going. I guess I now can see the bit the rim and I can shoot now. And well, with, with, Evans, does it.
2: with Evans, it's the Brandon Ingram comparisons. And, mm-hmm. and when, when he committed, we mentioned this. It is impossible to look at his game and not see like little shades of what Brandon Ingram is. And I'm not talking about Brandon Ingram, the current NBA pro great, great player, you know, thrilled with that. But I mean, what he was in college where it was just like all arms all over the place, but, but really smooth skills and ability to hit shots.
1: So the other guys that we need to talk about are, are the players who Duke is still recruiting and who, uh, a few guys who we've mentioned before on the show, uh, all of whom we hope are coming to Duke. That's Cooper flag and, and the boozer twins, Cameron and Caden, uh, all of whom had had flashes uh, in this tournament as well. They're all uh, currently, uh, I believe in the in the 2025 class. So they're all, they're all rising juniors. Uh, there is, I, I, I was hearing some speculation that, that there's a world where Cooper flag could um, could move up a year and, and accelerate his, yeah, Sam, his I've, matriculation. I've been, beating,
2: I've been beating that drum for a while. I really think Cooper flag is going to go to the class of 2024. His age makes it make a lot of sense. Um, cause he would be eligible for the, for the draft and, uh, you just watch his game <laughs> and then you're like, this guy's ready for tougher competition.
1: So we know Jason, that these guys were, were playing against each other. The, the Boozer twins of course play on the same, uh, team, but they were, they were going up against Cooper flag. Um, so what was your impression of them or anybody else that Duke is still recruiting that, uh, John Shire and his staff were down there to continue scouting and continue wooing.
2: So, I mean, we could, I, I, I'd, I'd spend an hour if we talked about all the different guys that the Duke is looking at there. And, and I, I watched a lot of them, um, but I'll wait until, you know, their recruiting heats up a little bit more until they commit to Duke or whatever it may be. I just want to talk about the boozers and Cooper flag and I'm going to set Cooper flag as, aside for a moment. Cause I know everyone wants to hear about it and I'm going to, it's
0: that line. He had Oh boy. <laughs> he,
2: he had multiple. Yeah. Look, we're going to talk about, it. he had multiple stat lines, but let's talk about the boozers first. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I I was disappointed in Cameron Boozer's performance at the Peach Jam. Um, Over the entire EYBL season, which was multiple cities over the course of a couple months, um, I want to say like 25 games or something like that. Cameron Boozer averaged close to 25 points per game, 13 rebounds per game. Well, at the Peach Jam, he only, and I say only, I mean, look, this is expectations. He only averaged 15 and a half points per game and 10, almost 11 rebounds per game. something just seemed a little bit off with him this week. He wasn't as aggressive as I expected him to be. He took more than a quarter of his shots, almost a third of his shots from three point range. And, and he only hit 21% from out there. Look, you can tell from the way he shoots it from the way he handles it, that he has the skill to knock down three pointers. But when you are his size with his explosion and his physicality and you're waiting on the perimeter to take three pointers. I'm like, I I'd I'd really rather see you dominate in the post Cameron. You know, I I think that's probably a better spot for you. Uh, He, he, you know, effortlessly is able to grab like 11 rebounds per game. But I was sort of like, you know what Uh, you you could be doing even more. I I will say this about him. Uh, I thought he, he got double teamed, even sometimes triple teamed a lot this past week. And when teams came to him with double teams, he, he was a very willing passer looking for his teammates. This is a guy who who got six, seven, eight, nine assists in various games this you know, this past week at at the Peach Jam. He became much more of a facilitator than he's been at earlier tournaments. And that's one reason why that scoring average dipped, like I said, from like twenty five down to about fifteen points per game. by the way, he hit 86% of his free throws. So this is a guy who has really good shooting touch. He's just, he's so powerful. He's so smooth. Again, I feel like he was coasting a little bit. I feel like maybe he felt like he wasn't really challenged. Their team, Knight Riders, that that the Boozer twins play on, um, is so loaded, has so much talent. They've got like four guys who are top 50 recruits that I felt like Cameron maybe thought he didn't really need to carry the team. And he didn't. They ended up winning the championship with him playing what some would say was sort of a subpar kind of effort. I, I want to really quickly get to Caden Boozer, his his brother, who is not as highly touted. Caden is considered still like a top 20 kind of recruit, but Cameron is either the number one or number two recruit in the class. Uh, Caden, I think, really elevated his status at the Peach Jam. He was named MVP. Again, you would have thought it would be Cooper Flagg or Cameron Boozer, but the MVP of the Peach Jam was Caden Boozer. He had an incredible week. Scoring was great, but it was really setting his teammates up. He averaged half points per game, almost seven assists per game. He led the entire Peach Jam in assists. He had, are you ready for it, a 5-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. That's ridiculous from a point guard. A 5-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio at this level? Because in high school, guys are sort of looser with the ball at these all-star tournaments. You know, guys are trying to make crazy plays sometimes. It is outrageous for a point guard to have a number like that. Uh, no, not an outside shooter, Caden Boozer. He only attempted 10 three pointers in seven games. I mean, he hit 40% he hit four of them, but he's not a guy who's going to. Going to take a lot of outside shots, but he is really adept, really great at turning the corner on his defender and getting to the bucket and finishing in the lane. He's got a, uh, does a wonderful job of using his body to shield off shot blockers and get his shot up with the other hand. He hit almost 60%, like 58% of his shots, Again, we're talking about a guard here, a point guard hitting 58% of his shots from the field. That's just that's just crazy. And when his brother, when Cameron was in a little bit of a funk and not playing well in the championship game, because Cameron did not have a good championship game, it was Caden who stepped up. In the championship game, he got 23 points to lead his team to the win. And like in the semifinal game, he had 15 assists and zero turnovers. This was a guy that when the stage became elevated, He elevated his game along with it. Again, led his team in scoring in the championship game with 23 points, 15 assists, zero turnovers in the semifinals. I I loved what I saw from Caden Boozer. Both the Boozer boys obviously are incredible recruits, but to me, Caden was the guy who really elevated his stock in my eyes.
0: 15 assists and zero turnovers. Do you know the math on that, Jason? You can't. You can't do that. Nothing's right. There's about, no ratio. Zero. There's no <laughs> ratio. That's that's really cool. Um, infinity. It's I, infinity. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think you know, looking at Camera Boozer, I, I agree with you, Jason. He kind of, it kind of felt like he was not necessarily. He wasn't his best self. Let's put it that way. I don't know what what the factors were behind it, but he wasn't his best self. But having said that, his not best self is still pretty damn good um he's a he's a very very special talent and you know for Caden to come in and have a great tournament again like you said he he could vault up a lot of boards specifically with the fact that you know when we had their dad who just happens to be carlos boozer on this show he was talking about how they wanted to play together and they wanted to have that dynamic go on the road he, he he didn't want to say package deal, but it feels like the two of them are a package deal, right? And for him to be able to come to Duke, for for him to be able to serve up, like that sort of assist ratio is sorely needed. I mean, we we always love when we have point guards that can dish out a lot of assists without accepting a lot of turnovers. And last year, what, what do we do a lot, Jason? We turn the ball over quite a bit. So to be able to have that, hopefully in the wings. I know they haven't been uh, committed yet, but we're actively, actively pursuing them. To have someone like that is going to be great because we want to have guys who can take care of the basketball because if we take care of the basketball, that's more opportunities for us to score points. There's a simple math right there. I don't need to do 15 divided by zero. I just need to let you know, if we hold on to the basketball, we have more opportunities to score.
2: Donald, you know, you mentioned recruiting. It is it is worth noting that Caden Boozer and Carlos Boozer, when they were asked about it, absolutely made it abundantly clear that they are not a lock for Duke. I, I think everyone would probably agree that Duke has a leg up in this recruiting, but they said, they said they've been people who were there said Kentucky was paying a lot of attention to the Boozer twins. And there are plenty of schools out there that think. They have a shot at the boozers that it's not just a one and done, not one and done, but you know, not an automatic thing for Duke. On the other hand, I'm going to get us to the other player. I'm going to get us to Cooper flag now because everybody like, I don't even hear it. People don't even ask Cooper flag what school he's going to go to because everyone just assumes it is Duke. It would be, I think it would be a bigger shock if Cooper flag doesn't go to Duke than if the boozer twins end up going someplace else. Now, let's let's talk about Cooper's game. Oh my god. Um Cooper went next 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 level this past week. 25 and a half points per game, 13 rebounds per game, almost 7 blocks per game. I'm going to repeat that. Blocks, 7 blocks per game. There's one game he went for 38 and 16 with 12 blocks and 6 assists. Then <laughs> there was another game he went for 37 and 12 with 10 blocks and 6 more assists on any given day. Any given game, Cooper Flag was a threat to have a quadruple double. That's ridiculous. It's outrageous. He is basically a point guard playing in a power forward or center's body. He brings the ball up. He initiates the offense every time for, for, for his team, for, for the uh, for main elite. He can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He hit 34% of his threes. He hit 84% of his free throws. He has incredible body control and foot skills in the post. So when he gets in the lane, he's able to get the angle that he wants for his shots. He's just incredibly creative with the ball in his hands. He he puts puts multiple pump fakes on players um, to 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 find you know sort of that 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 right angle to to get that shot when he's in the lane. An incredibly willing passer. Look, this is a guy who's getting double and triple teamed every time he touches the ball, and he knows how to find his teammates. Um doesn't mind passing to them, and he put up some big assist numbers in a number of different games. But I just talked about the offense. What stands out is his defense. and And look, this may be hyperbole, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I don't think I've ever seen someone with this combination of explosion and instincts as a shot blocker. it, it It's really something to behold. And this is not like a seven plus foot guy who with freakishly long arms who's blocking the shots. Most of his blocks come off of help defense. Most of his blocks come from his timing and his explosion off the floor. He had an outrageous, ridiculous play at the uh, very early in the knockout stage. By the way, Main Elite, his team that made the championship game and played against the Boozers and, and lost, they were not supposed to even make the EYBL playoffs. Like, in fact, it was a little bit of an accomplishment that they made it to the Peach Jam. Um, because they were sort of just a middling team for most of the year. And then suddenly at Peach Jam, Cooper elevated his game. His teammates came along, and they won six, seven games in a row, it was, until they finally lost in the championship. But there was a play in the early knockout stage. The final play of the game is like seven or ten seconds left in the game. He's guarding the best ball hand, the best player on the opposing team. And Cooper flags gets screened. And, I mean, he gets just wiped out by this screen. And this is out beyond the three-point line. And at that point, 99.99% of all players in the world would be out of the play because the guy's running off the screen and he's headed to the basket. And there's Cooper Flag was five steps behind him. And somehow, he Cooper has huge stride. He took off. The, the guy he was guarding went to take a floater that was going to win the game. And suddenly from behind, Cooper came in and swatted
0: the ball away. It's a great play. It was just an incredible play.
2: It was unbelievable to see a guy do that. It seems crazy to say this, but from watching Cooper, I watched like four or five of his games this week. I feel like he can do anything. You watch him block a shot, immediately grab it and head the other way, dribble behind his back, around a couple guards, and then power through a forward for a vicious slam dunk. He's got defense. He's got shooting from anywhere on the floor. He's got handle. He's got court vision. He's long. He's quick. He's explosive. You name a skill, you name an attribute, that a basketball player should possess. And Cooper flag has it at a high, high level. He is now widely considered the number one player in the class. He's now widely considered the number one player in all of high school. And the athletic had what I thought was an outrageous headline, crazy headline. He said, Cooper, it's Cooper flag, the next Victor Wembenyama. And I was like, that's bonkers. And then I thought about it a little bit and I went, that might be true. (laughs) (laughs) He is that. He played that well this week. He looks like that great of a prospect. And no one shorter than LeBron James was at Peach Jam coaching his son, Bryce James. LeBron James took time while he was coaching his son's team to go watch some of Cooper's games, pull Cooper aside, and talk to Cooper a little bit about what it takes to be the GOAT because Cooper Flag has that kind of potential. And wow, I mean, you could not watch him without being unbelievably
0: impressed with everything he did. I mean Jason they had we were receiving alerts from nba.com saying hey tune in and watch Cooper Flag right now because he's going off. Like you don't get that for from the NBA for a lot of high school players. Uh, but Cooper Flag, we've talked about how Cooper Flag and, and and uh Cameron Boozer might be the two best players in high school and they're not seniors. Like Cooper Flag might be the best player in high school. Like that this man is the real deal. And I'll say Jason, when it comes to recruiting, we have a lot of success with twins and cooper flag is also a twin his his twin brother uh ace actually put in 22 because i, I know you mentioned that uh main united and knight riders made it to the final together cameron and caden's team beat cooper flag's team in the final but they lost to them in like the group stage play or whatever that they, do. Yes, they did yeah. and that's when cooper flag had one of his games and ace had 22 points in that game as well so uh, look Cooper flag I, you, you said a lot of what I was going to say about him but I'll just say watching him is must see TV like w- watching him play on the ball off the ball defense offense you cannot take your eyes off him and if he's the best player on the floor which he is whenever he steps almost every time he steps on the floor he plays like it and I think that is infectious in the team that he had because like you said the team that he is surrounded with at May United isn't a team that was engineered for a lot of success, but because he was able to do that, it fed off that energy fed into a lot of what his teammates did. And that's why they went on the run that they did. So uh, it was so much fun to watch uh, all the highlights and some of the games of Cooper flag, you know, over these last couple of weeks. And if he's in a Duke uniform again, you know, I'm not going to say he he's a given or a lock or anything like that until he is wearing that Duke Jersey and says, I'm or putting that Duke hat on, says I'm coming to Duke, but man, I would love to have him play in Cameron Indoor Stadium as a Duke Blue Devil.
1: And and like Jason was saying, speculation that maybe he accelerates his his graduation so that uh, he ends up in you know coming to Duke next summer, hopefully, um, instead of the the following year, would also be an intriguing development for for John Shire staff. So, all right, guys, lots of exciting uh, recruiting stuff going on here. That's it for us for this episode uh, stay in touch dbrpodcast at gmail.com same email address new name so uh, get in touch with us there Uh, we love hearing from you and uh, we will be back again i'm sure sometime uh, to talk more recruiting or coaching staff news whatever is whatever's coming up for duke basketball you will hear from us so for jason evans for donald wine i am sam klein this has been episode 524 of the duke basketball roundup duke band take us home
2: gentlemen how are we doing today doing oh, all right yeah i'm good so donald sounds horse sam sounds like he just woke
0: up this is going to be a great podcast i'm the one that just woke up it's 6 30 here <laughs> Don't, it's only 8 30 here yeah. <laughs>
2: meanwhile i've been up for three hours writing for cnn
0: <laughs> cnn needs its news <laughs>